Welcome to Storytime with Michael Kingswood. I'm Michael Kingswood and I write science fiction and fantasy. I used to be in the Navy, spent 20 years doing submarine operations, among other cool things. Learned to fly planes, learned to scuba dive, had a bunch of kids, saw the world, and I started writing fiction. In this podcast, I'm going to be sharing my stories with you in the hope that you'll have fun, and also that you'll like my stuff and come back for more and maybe help brother out with buying a book or two. So uh, sit back, relax, I'm going to tell you a story. Hey friends, Michael Kingswood back at you again with story time. And it's uh, starting to get dark here on Sunday evening in San Diego. I normally record earlier than this, but uh, well, I didn't this time. Show me. It'll still be out the right time tomorrow on Monday. Um... Yeah, so not a very eventful uh, week at the Kingswood Abode, at least as far as writing goes. Um, not a super eventful week as far as anything, really. It's a pretty standard, pretty standard week. Going to work, doing family stuff, and working out, and yeah, usual sort of thing. So I guess uh, I won't waste your time. We'll just go straight into this week's show. Uh, we're continuing with Glimmer Vale. Book one of my Glimmer Veil Chronicles, and uh, when last we left off, uh, Radric and Julian had just revealed why they actually deserted from the army and and their path that led them into Lyttleton. Uh, we'll get more into some details of that in a future book, but for now at least you know a little bit of uh, the main reason they left. So, yeah, and I guess they're not total scumbags, deserted, but for a good reason. And, uh, well, we'll see what the mayor and the constable will make of it, and if we'll continue the quest or not. And we'll go right into chapter 17 and chapter 18. Hey, almost two-thirds of the way through the book. Holy snap. Uh, on the right side, got some good news about the next book, uh, which I'll share afterwards. But for now, I'll leave you in Nathan's capable hands for the next two chapters. Enjoy. Chapter 17 Course Correction Mayor Brimley sat back in his chair, stunned. Beside him, Constable Mallory's expression had softened. He and the mayor looked at each other for a long minute. We did not set out to desert, but when High Command gave those orders... Radric shook his head. I would not execute such an order, nor would I order my men to. No, no, I imagine you could not. The rest of us in the squad left with him, Julian interjected. And some others from the platoon as well. Disobeying an order gets you the gallows. Not reporting a desertion gets you almost as bad. But weren't none of us who could stomach staying with the unit after that. The constable nodded slowly. What about Fazel? Or what was it you called him? Eisenhoff. Radric replied with a sigh. Theobald Eisenhoff. He was a rat from the beginning. Julian said, earning a look of reproach from Radric. What? He was. You just didn't see it because you were a squad leader as well. Looking back at the mayor, Julian went on. He had a cruel streak and took matters too far even before things began going downhill. Then the officers found out that he had been stealing. They were going to make an example of him, but he left before they had the chance. Took a few of his cronies with him. And now here they are, Mayor Brimley grumbled. Grunting, he stood up and turned around to look out his office window. This town cannot survive under Fazl's domination. 
he'll drain us dry, and we do not have the resources or know-how to deal with him on our own. Taking a deep breath, he turned back around. Very well. The job is still yours, if you will do it. Your Honor, I... Constable Mallory began. Would you have done differently in their place, Lucian? Mallory took a moment in answering. He looked sidelong at Julian and Radric and frowned. Then, finally, he shook his head. No, I suppose not. But still, we can worry about the rest after this crisis has passed, Mayor Brimley replied. Mallory nodded, clearly not happy, even if he did understand. For his part, Julian didn't much like the sound of that. The only thing he could think of that they had to worry about later was turning them in, and damned if he was going to risk his life just to be repaid like that. He was just about to open his mouth and say that when the mayor spoke up again. You understand the constable and I are bound by oath and duty to turn in deserters that we come across. However, if you will rid us of these criminals, we will pretend we did not learn of your past. Are we agreed? Radric nodded, and Julian followed suit. Very well, then. I'll leave you to get on with it. Julian and Radric descended the steps at the front of the town hall. Their men, waiting in the street at the foot of the stairs, perked up when they returned. Is everything all right? asked Salam. He did not truly sound concerned. No problem. The mayor is calm again, at least. Julian's words evoked chuckles from the fishing men. Brimley is highly strung, that's for sure, Rolf quipped. But he means well. Now what? That was the question, wasn't it? Julian looked to the east, where the sun was beginning to dip below the mountains. The day was about done. Change in plans, Julian, Radric said suddenly. You're running the training on your own tomorrow. Rolf, Hiram, and Gilroy will assist. Say again? Salam and I are going to take an excursion tonight, and I doubt we'll be back in time to meet the others in the morning. Salam blinked in surprise. Where are we going? Radric pointed toward the end of Main Street, where the brigands had turned right after leaving town. Twenty men on horses leave a trail that should be easy to follow. We're going to find their hideout. But Ray, I- You're still hurt, Julian. You'll slow us down, and you'll be a liability in a fight right now. Now hold on. You know it's true, my friend. Julian wanted to deny Radric's words, but he could not. Even going up and down stairs was a strain, and would be for a number of days yet. Reluctantly, Julian nodded. Radric smiled and clapped him on the shoulder. Don't worry, we'll leave a few of the scum for you to handle. With that, he and Salam set off down the street. Julian couldn't help but chuckle at his friend's bravado. All the same, he felt a pang of something that felt disturbingly close to jealousy as he watched them depart. Twilight was nearing its end as Julian stepped into the taproom. Even though he had been in the Vale for a number of days, he still found it strange how quickly night descended in the valley. He was just as happy to get indoors since the night's chill was beginning to set in. That was one advantage to not going on Radric's excursion. It felt like it was going to be a cold one. The taproom was more crowded than usual. Men sat at every bar stool, and most of the tables were taken. It took a moment of thinking before Julian realized why. Tomorrow was God's Day. No work on God's Day, so there was no reason for people not to stay up a bit later than normal and maybe indulge in a little extra fun. Molly was behind the bar this evening, a change from her usual routine. Lonnie was probably around somewhere too, but Julian couldn't see her anywhere. Instead of lingering in the entryway, Julian decided to go say hi to Molly at the bar. She was always good for a chuckle, and maybe a discounted drink. But as he hobbled around a full table and barely avoided getting run down by a hurrying waitress, he spotted another lady he had not seen in a while. Melanie sat, impeccably dressed and alone as usual, at a table for two near the fireplace on the right. 
Julian altered his course without thinking twice. The Lady Mage, or whatever she wanted to call herself, noticed him coming long before he arrived beside her table. He chose to believe the little toss of her head came from happiness to see him rather than something else, but it was hard to not notice the way she rolled her eyes as he continued toward her table. Well, they say if you want to get close to a woman, it's better to get her dander up than to not cause any emotion in her at all. Julian had always seriously doubted how wise they really were about women, but just then he clung to that thought like a drowning man to a twig. Good evening, Melanie, Julian said. Why do you insist on bothering me, bumpkin? You and your friend got your help, so can you leave me alone, please? Yes, well, about that. First, I'm not a bumpkin. I was born and raised a city boy, if you must know. Second, Julian cleared his throat softly. Our plan didn't turn out so well. No. If sarcasm were gold, she would be able to live like a queen for the rest of her life. No, really, it didn't. But we're moving on to plan B. There is a chance we'll need to ask for more help, though. She rolled her eyes again, her expression even more annoyed than it had been. But that's not why I'm here. Then why are you here, city boy? He simply could not catch a break with her. Well, I'm on my own tonight. You clearly don't have any company. He put on his most winning smile and gestured toward the empty chair at her table. Eating with company is always better than eating alone. Not always. Feeling slapped across the face, Julian had to force the smile to not become a snarl. Well, if you're going to be rude about it. He turned to leave. He could hear the eye roll in her tone as she spoke to his back. Oh, sit down, Julian. Honestly, it's no wonder you men are always fighting duels and starting wars, as thin-skinned as you are. Julian had half a mind to just walk away, but looking back over his shoulder, he was struck by the color of her skin in the firelight and how the flames reflected off her eyes. She really was stunning. And so, against his better judgment and the commands of his ego, he sat down in the proffered chair and had no idea what to say next. The silence had become almost unbearable when their waitress finally came by to ask for his order. Silently blessing the waitress for her timeliness, he looked questioningly at Melanie. I've already ordered. Nodding, Julian said, Ale, and to eat, fish and chips. The waitress nodded and made a note on her tray, then hurried off toward the bar. You're a true gourmet. Now it was Julian's turn to roll his eyes. Really, do you have to mock everything I do? Melanie sipped at her drink and smiled innocently. You make it very easy. He opened his mouth to protest, but she stopped him with a raised hand. But I'll try to be more gentle. How kind of her. He half snorted, half chuckled. <laughs> Thank you. They were silent for another brief period, during which the waitress brought Julian's drink. He gulped down a mouthful of ale and relished the flavor for a moment. Which city? Swallowing another mouthful of ale, he raised an eyebrow at Melanie. Come again? Which city are you from? Oh, he set his tankard down and shrugged. Terrace, on the coast of the Timor Sea. Very cosmopolitan. Irritation welled up. It must have been visible on his face, because Melanie rolled her eyes again and said, I'm serious. It's one hell of a lot more worldly place to grow up than my little village. Really? And where was that? She shrugged. It's called Vernon's Passing. Not even a one-horse town, in the middle of nowhere. I got out of there as soon as I was able. Julian supposed that explained a few things. You've come a long way. You've no idea. Chapter 18 Skulking As Radric expected, the twenty horses had indeed cut up the ground fairly well. 
He found it hard to believe that Eisenhoff, he could not bring himself to call the criminal by his assumed name, neglected to think about that. So he halfway expected to find the rear guard lying in wait somewhere on the trail. But when he and Salam reached the East Flow Ford without incident, Radrick began to rethink his assumption. Maybe Eisenhoff had not thought about the trail he left. Or worse, maybe he simply did not care. He had not bothered to hide his contempt, even of his former comrades in arms. He had always been cocky, but not sloppy. He must be very sure that his advantage is unassailable, Radrick said to himself. Or he's just an ass, Salam offered. Radrick blinked in surprise. He had not realized he spoke loudly enough to be heard. He shook his head and chuckled softly before replying, <laughs> Always has been. Salam chuckled as well, and the two men exchanged grins. They had opted against horses for the pursuit. For one thing, riders were easier to spot, and this night's excursion required stealth. For another thing, Salam did not own one, and Radrick did not feel right about loaning out Julian's without asking. So instead, they had taken a few minutes to retrieve warm cloaks from their rooms and wading boots from the fishing company's warehouse, then set out after the brigands as twilight was beginning to settle over the veil. Even with the wading boots, crossing the ford was uncomfortably frigid. Radrick shuddered in sympathy for the horses who had to cross it and made a mental note to get a few extra cubes of sugar for his mare. She had earned it crossing this three times in the last few days. It was full dark when they emerged from the ford and discarded their wading boots behind an outbuilding at the burned farm. It's going to be tough following even this trail in the dark, you know, Salam noted. I know. The moon should be up soon. That'll help. Radrick glanced to the west toward where he expected the nearly full moon to rise and was gratified to see a faint glow on the horizon beyond the mountains. Any minute now. Salam was right. Even after the moon rose above the mountains, it was slow going. It helped to have some notion as to where the trail would lead, and sure enough, at around the same place the prisoner had turned southeast the other day, this large group made the same turn. At least this was not just a ploy. As before, the riders moved into the hills, climbing the first several and then descending into the small valleys between them. After doing that several times, Radrick was beginning to become irritated. How did he and Julian lose that guy the other day if he had gone on like this? The question answered itself a moment later. As they descended the back of yet another hill, the trail abruptly turned to the left, heading due east down the center of the valley between two hills. The valley continued a fair distance, slowly veering back to the south. About a quarter of a mile further on, as the curve of the valley brought the first hill out of sight, the hill to the left became rougher, more boulder-strewn. Then suddenly a cleft in the hillside came into view, a narrow chasm between adjoining hillsides that stretched east and slowly rose higher into the hills. I've never heard of a formation like that in this part of the vale, Salam said, sounding and looking surprised. There hasn't been a farmstead in a while. How often do people come out this way? The fishing man shrugged. Not too often that I know of, but then I don't know all the ins and outs around here. Radrick looked sidelong at him. I didn't think you grew up here. What gave me away? There don't seem to be very many trained swordsmen in this town. Radrick chuckled and added, And you drop your R's. Folks from here don't do that. Salam frowned as he looked away from Radrick and back towards the chasm. Even with that moon, it will be hard to see anything in there. Ignoring the change in topic, Radrick glanced up at the moon, now almost directly overhead. We won't get any better light until morning. Might as well get moving. I know. Just saying. Sure enough, it was extremely dark within the chasm. The passage was narrow. Maybe two people could ride side by side, but it would be uncomfortable. Also, it looked as though the walls of the chasm actually narrowed toward the top. That all resulted in very little light making it down to the floor where Radrick and Salam walked. 
Fortunately, the floor of the chasm was smooth and devoid of loose rocks. No doubt the brigands had cleared it out to make for easier passage. All the same, both men stumbled on occasion, and their progress was very slow. At one point, Radric looked back and was surprised to see that they had ascended a hundred feet or more. Glancing upwards, it did not look as though the chasm walls were much lower than they had been before. That meant the hills the chasm cut through were large indeed. He racked his brain, trying to recall seeing any hills high enough to conceal a feature like this when he and Julian had been here in the daylight, and came up lacking. What was going on? The chasm continued to rise for several hundred yards, then abruptly came to an end. One moment, Radric and Salam were walking in near-pitch blackness. The next, they stepped out into a large open area that appeared chiseled out of rock. Or, at least, Radric surmised it was open. He couldn't see very far ahead, but there were no distinguishing features except behind them. Rather than rolling hills, sheer cliffs, a couple hundred feet tall, rose on either side of the chasm, and stretched out in either direction as far as Radric could see in the gloom. Radric blinked. It was only marginally less dark here than it had been in the chasm. Confused, he looked up to find the moon, and saw only darkness, along with what looked like a smoky mist not far above the tops of the cliffs. There was not even a hint that the moon was in the sky. Where is that light coming from? I was just wondering that, Radric replied. Salam was quick on the uptake. He liked that. I'm not sure what's going on here, Salam. Do you want to go back? The fishing man looked at Radric with offended eyes and shook his head. Haven't found what we came for yet. Radric grinned. They moved forward, away from the chasm. The rider's trail was no longer visible, but there was no doubt which way they had gone. After a short while, Radric looked over his shoulder and felt a surge of dread. The cliffs were no longer visible. It was as if reality ended in a dark haze and indeterminate distance behind them. Stop, Salam. The fishing man looked at Radric in confusion. Then he looked back also, and his eyes widened. For the first time, Radric saw fear in the man's eyes. He was not sure his own did not show the same thing. They hurried back the way they came. After a moment, the cliffs and the chasm opening suddenly emerged from the gloom. Radric was surprised at how relieved he felt when that happened. He found himself letting out a breath he had not realized he had been holding. Well, at least we can get back. Salam snorted. <laughs> we can also get turned around completely without realizing it and lose our way. Radric pursed his lips. He hadn't thought of that. Eisenhoff's bunch must have a way to safely get back and forth. Maybe we missed something. They went back to the chasm opening and spent several minutes looking carefully around. The cliff walls, the ground, the swirling mist above, nothing escaped their attention. There had to be a way for them to know how to get back. It was Salam who found it, by chance. He stepped back from the cliff face to look at the walls at a different angle. After a moment, he shook his head and threw up his hands. Radric bit back a curse and turned away. Maybe there was something inside the chasm itself. Radric! He spun around, his hand going to the grip of his saber. But Salam was alone, squatting down not far from where he had been looking up at the cliffs. He vigorously waved for Radric to come over. Once he reached Salam's side, Radric's spirits lifted. Seen from the angle Salam took while squatting, there was a fine silver inlay in the rock floor. It outlined a path about as wide as four men walking abreast, which stretched from the chasm exit straight ahead for twenty yards. There it turned abruptly to the right, and stretched away out of sight into the gloom. We weren't going the right way at all, Salam said, a slight quaver in his voice. It's a good thing we turned back when we did. Good job. Radric stood and found he could still see the path's outline. It was almost as if, having found it once, he was now allowed to see it completely. Allowed by whom was not clear, especially since there was no one else around. 
but he couldn't shake the feeling that it was designed thus for some reason. Do we go on? Salam sounded a bit less certain, less confident than he had before when Radric asked that question. Radric nodded. Haven't found what we came for yet. Salam chuckled. Well, that's kind of a interesting spot that Radric and Salama found themselves in. That's kind of a weird, ca- weird little chasm in the cliff face where the hell the rest of the hill go, right? Ah, what's going on? If only there was a way to find out. Oh, that's right. Read the book. We'll tune back in next week as we continue for the next couple chapters. And, of course, you can always go, you won't hurt my feelings if you go and decide to buy a copy for yourself. Whether it be the audiobook, the ebook, or the print book, you can get them all from our website. You can get them all from Amazon and iTunes and Apple and Kobo and every other place on the planet, too. I just get more money if you go to my store at ssnstorytelling.com and order it through there. Um, but do as you will. Um, that's all I got for this week. Hope you enjoyed it. Please spread the word to all your pals about the cool books and stories that we tell here. And uh, until then, I'll see you next time. And don't do anything I wouldn't do. Thanks for listening to Storytime with Michael Kingswood. You can find me online at michaelkingswood.com. I'm also on Facebook and Twitter. My web store is ssnstorytelling.com, where you can find all my books in your favorite formats. Purchasing through the web store nets me the most profit, but if you prefer, I'm also on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Kobo, and all the other usual e-tailers. If you want to learn about new releases, sign up for my mailing list through the contact form at my website. I guarantee not to spam you, only send an email when I have some news to share. Storytime with Michael Kingswood is copyright of Michael Kingswood. Intro and outro music copyright Gene Paul Zoggy, licensed through stockmusic.net. All rights reserved.